happy Mother's Day or Mother's Day week whenever you happen to be joining us. Welcome to Worship from Schweitzer. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you're worshiping with us for the first time, we want to say a special welcome to you. We're really glad you're here. If you let us know your name and how we can communicate with you, we'd love to send you a gift card. It'll be fantastic. Today, we're in week three of a series where we're looking at Psalm 46. Today, we're going to be talking about how God is for us. If you'd like to grow deeper with this sermon, uh, connect with some other folks, if you go to schweitzer.church next, you'll find some ways to do that. Next up is Stephanie, and she's going to share with us some ways where we can grow deep in our faith and connect, and some things that are happening this week at Schweitzer. Let's take a listen to Stephanie. Hi, I'm Stephanie. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. Parents, are you ready for a night out? If so, you need to be sure and sign up for the next R&R night, Friday, May 20th from 6.30 to 8.15 p.m. Our Schweitzer Kids team will hang out with your kids for free while you all go and have some relaxation and refreshing time. We do need you to sign up so that we can be ready for you at schweitzer.church kids or on the Church Center app. Are you a fan of camping, canoeing, and exploring? Then we have the perfect opportunity for you to grab your family or invite someone for Schweitzer's Adventure Weekend at Discovery Ministries in Eminence, Missouri on June 3rd through the 5th. You can stay in the lodge, set up your tent, or bring along your RV and get to know other explorers. We need you to sign up by May 15th at schweitzer.church next. Coming up on Wednesday, May 18th, our Schweitzer prayer team is hosting a very special prayer service right here in the sanctuary at 6 p.m. This service is open to everyone, but we're specifically inviting parents and graduates to this special evening during this season of celebration and change. We hope to see you there. On May 22nd, we will be honoring Jim Mason, Jane Rebke, and Mary Decker between services as they head into retirement. And also on this Sunday, we'll be recognizing our graduates. If you are a graduate or you know a graduate that we can honor, please contact Sheila Pippen or head to schweitzer.church next to share some more details with us. There is so much happening here week to week. It's hard to fit it all into one announcement video. So be sure to keep up with all of the happenings around Schweitzer by heading to our next page and also signing up for our e-news. We are so glad you've chosen to join us this morning. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Stephanie. If you're worshiping with us live, we'd invite you to say hello in the chat, uh, make friends that way. Also, if you're needing prayer, there's somebody in the prayer room that would be happy to pray with you. Now let's enter into worship with this song. With a thousand tongues to lift one cry Then north and south and east and west We'd hear Christ be magnified 
friends, as we come to a time of prayer, I want to invite you to join me in saying a prayer from that comes out of Romans 8. We're going to hear about that text later in the sermon. But I'd like to invite you to pray along with me this prayer. And then we'll go into a time of silent prayer where we can lift up those things that, uh, that we carry, and the things, and open our hearts to the Lord. And then we'll say the Lord's Prayer together. So let's pray. Kind Father, we can call you kind because you show kindness in so many ways. You sent Jesus into the world in kindness and love to make a way for our redemption. You send the Spirit in kindness to guide us, comfort us, and join us with you on a grand expedition. Your kindness gives us confidence with you, with one another, and in the world that you are restoring. Pour out your Spirit on us in new and fresh ways, so that, as a part of your new creation, we may live now in the confident joy as your sons and daughters. Amen. Lord, we give you thanks for your kindness to us and to our world. And we give you thanks that in your kindness you woo us, invite us along on this, on this path of life and this expedition with you. Now, teach us to pray now in all ways as we say the prayer Jesus taught his disciples. When we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, part of worship is the act of giving. And we are so grateful for your generosity, the ways in which... Uh, the gifts, your tithes and offerings make a significant difference in the ministry of Schweitzer and the ministry to our world. One of the things we talk about Schweitzer is it's a Christ-centered, community-focused church. This last week, you probably saw, um, maybe you know deeply and intimately that it was Teacher Appreciation Week. If you're a teacher watching this, thanks so much for all that you do. One of the places that Schweitzer has been focused on teachers is at Pittman Elementary that we've been in partnership in ministry with for over a decade. Some of the folks that work intimately with, with Pittman and the folks at Pittman, they took an opportunity to bless the teachers and the staff and everybody that works there with some, some meals and some gifts and just a special time of blessing. We're really grateful that we can be in a partnership with, with Pittman Elementary to bless the teachers, but really to, to bless the students in the neighborhood. So that's possible because of your generosity, uh, your goodness. We're really thankful for that. You can give today at Schweitzer.church slash give or on the Church Center app. Thank you once again. And now, next up is Spencer with our sermon from Psalm 46, God, our refuge, and this is about God is for us. Let's take a listen.
Well, welcome today. My name is Spencer, and today is part three of our series called God, Our Refuge. We are reading from Psalm 46. It's only 11 verses, but we are diving deep into this psalm to learn about how God is trustworthy and good. And so we're looking at five themes that we see expressed here and what's taught here in Psalm 46. So let's jump into this today, and here's how the psalm goes. We'll start at the very beginning. It says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so there's Psalm 46. It's so deep and rich and encouraging. And so we're reading through this for the next, for these five weeks, uh, learning and, and hearing what it is it teaches us about how God is trustworthy and good. Now, normally when we do these kinds of series, we, we kind of work through them line by line, word by word, phrase by phrase. We go through different passages of scripture. But in this series, what we're doing instead is we're looking at five big themes that we see repeated really throughout the psalm. And so today we're going to see this really clear point that Psalm 46 teaches us, which is really simply this, that God is for us, that God is for us. We see this in the psalm, like Psalm 46 verse 1 says it like this, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Now, of course, I'm reading from an English translation. This was originally written in Hebrew. And if you were to read a, a literal uh, Hebrew translation of this uh, verse, Psalm 46, verse 1, you would read something more like this. God is for us a refuge. God is for us our strength. God is for us an ever-present help in trouble. Now, that's a little clunky. And so the people who translate this have taken out those phrases for us because it's repetitive, but in the original Hebrew, that's what you would have been reading is about how God is for us. He is for us. He is for us, these things. This is who he is. This is what he's like. This is what he's done for us. This is this is his, his character for us. And I wish they'd kept it in because this is such an important uh, teaching here from Psalm 46, that God is for us. We see this in other places too. I think about what's taught in verse four and verse five. This is what verse four says. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. And of course, the city of God is Jerusalem. And you can imagine living in Jerusalem when this psalm was written and it's written about where you live, how God is on your side, that God is your protector. He is your fortress. He is, he is the one who is going to be your refuge in, in this city that is yours because God is, is for us. Or I think about this other verse, verse 7 and verse 11. It's repeated twice, but we read these, these words. It says, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, reminding us of the covenant, reminding us of all that God has done. There is this consistent teaching we see in Psalm 46 to tell us and to lead us to know that God is for us. He's our protector. He's our shield. He is our, our fortress. He is with us. He is, he's for us. You could say it like this, that God is inclined towards us. 
He is favorable towards us. This is how he is. This is his relationship with us that God is for us. Now, the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, he has this comment about Psalm 46, verse 1, right? that, that phrase, um, God is our fortress or our refuge and shield, um, our ever-present help in trouble, that, that this is this, this line. And so Charles Spurgeon, this great preacher, he, he preaches this about um, the importance of understanding that this is not just a, a general statement about the character of God towards all of us, but really this is something that's specifically for each of us. And so Spurgeon writes this. Uh, he says, forget not the personal possessive word, our. Make sure each one of your portion is in God that you may say, I love this, he is my refuge and my strength. This is not just a general statement about God's uh, love towards everyone. This is a, a specific statement that God is personally and specifically for you. That God is for us. It means that God is for you. The author, Brendan Manning, he tells the story of an Irish priest who went on a walking tour of his rural parish. And he walked down the, the country roads because he wanted to, to meet the people in his parish, meet them in their farms and their homes. And so one day as he walked down this country road, this old Irish priest, he comes upon this farmer who's off the side of the road and he's on his knees praying. And the priest, of course, is really inspired. He's really impressed. Here's this man who loves God and he's praying out here in the open, in the field to, to the Lord. And so he, he walks up to this man and, and, and he tells this man, you must be very close to God. And this farmer, he, he looks up from his prayers and he looks to the priest and he just simply says, yes, he's very fond of me. <laughs> I love that. Like God is very fond of us. Absolutely right. This is who God is, that he is absolutely for us, that he loves us, that he's fond of us, that he's inclined towards us. This is his character. It makes me think about what we read on Easter. So just a few weeks ago on Easter, we read from Romans chapter 8, the end of Romans chapter 8, this incredible description of how God is for us. I want to go back to that. I know we read it just a few weeks ago, but I want to go back to Romans chapter 8 because it's such an incredible reminder of this truth of how God is for us. And so I want you to hear this. Listen to these words. We're going to start here mid-thought here, but, but listen to just this truth that's been spoken here, that's been teaching, that's been taught here about how God is for us. And so starting in verse um, 31, this is what we read. This is Paul, and he says, What then shall we say in response to these things? Now, these things in context, bring this up in mid-thought, are just all the things in life that are hard. Suffering and setback, trials and doubts and fears and challenges, the things that stress you out and keep you up at night. What do you say in response to the things that you worry about? What do you say in response to the things that, that you lose sleep about? What do you say in response to the things that, that when you face them, you have no idea how to handle them because the challenge is too big? What do you say in response to those things? Well, here's the biblical answer to that question. If God is for us, who can be against us? What do you say in response to these things? Well, if God is for us, who can be against us? And I want you to hear that. If God is, what is it? For us. If God is for us, who can be against us? We keep reading here. Verse, uh, the next verse says this, that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us, listen to this, listen, 
all things. How will he not also graciously give us all things? Now remember, again, this is not written in English originally. This was written in, in Greek originally. And in this Greek word that is translated as the word all, do you know what it like, literally means? Like all things, what it literally means? It means this. It means, it means all, <laughs> like in everything. All things, like, like not some things, not just a few things. God's not just going to give us his spare change. God's going to give us all things because this is what he's already done by giving us his son. This is the message that's being preached because this is what he is. He's for us. He's inclined towards us. We keep reading here. It says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one, Christ Jesus, who died and more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. It's an Old Testament quote, but basically we all face trouble in life. So verse 37 keeps this going. It says, no, in all these things, all these things, all these struggles and challenges and setbacks and doubts and fears and worries and stressors, all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh my goodness, I love Romans 8 so much. We should do a multi-part series just walking our way through this gospel presentation that we have here that God is for us. This is what we see crystal clear here, that God is for us. And I know we read this just a few weeks ago in Easter, but honestly, we should be reading this every week just to be reminded of this is what we believe, that God is for us, that he's inclined towards us, that nothing can separate us from his love, that the response to challenges in life, our response is, well, if God is for us, who can be against us? Like, this is what we believe, because after all, we're not deists. Do you know what, do you know what that is, Deist, deism? It's a it's a theology, D-E-I-S-M is how you spell it. It's a theology that views God as being distant. And so classic deism, it kind of, it kind of goes like this, like a, a classic deist would, would look at the world and creation and all that that is and, and, and see the amazing parts of it and how amazing it is and, and know and, and believe in the creator God. I mean, a deist would look at the incredible uh, aspects of the universe and the, the, the cosmos and, and the, the, what we see in the stars. And they would see how unique the earth is and how unique it is that life came about on earth. And they would see all of these things. And they would think, oh my goodness, yes, there's definitely a creator. But that's kind of where a deist stops. It stops with that kind of statement. Yes, there is a creator. So the classic kind of classic metaphor of, of deism is to view God as a, as a watchmaker. Now, this is a very old metaphor. I mean, I wear a digital watch. I don't really know how this corresponds, but if you think about an old watch where you had like wheels and gears and they all mix together and they fit together just perfectly like an old watch would do. Well, deism, what it does is it pictures God as, as a watchmaker and the, the universe is, is a watch that he puts together just right and he winds it up and then he just lets it go, lets it wind its way through with the natural laws that he's created, the scientific laws that he's created. And, and so a deist doesn't see God's activity, but they see that God was involved in, in making these things and now just has, has, has let it go. A classic uh, historic uh, deist was uh, Thomas Jefferson. Uh, Thomas Jefferson is like well-known deist. And so if you ever in DC, I, I've seen this in the Library of Congress, you can see Thomas Jefferson's Bible. And if you've never seen this, Thomas Jefferson's Bible, what he did is he took a knife and he cut out all of the miraculous parts of the Bible 
and he kept the moral teaching parts of the Bible. Why? Well, because he didn't believe that God was actually active in his life around him. God had set up these moral parts of life. This is like the natural law that you have. And so this is part of the clockmaker. He's given us these laws to keep. But but for Jefferson, he didn't see that God was actually active around him. He just saw that God was got things going. And so he didn't see God as an, as an active part of life. Now we hear this, and that's kind of a strange thing to do, to cut up your Bible because you don't think that you know God is active in, in life. But you know what? Honestly, I've been doing this work long enough that I've come to believe and I've come to see that there are lots and lots and lots and lots of people, lots of Christians who, who may not like say out loud, you know, I'm a deist. They're, they don't like take an exacto knife to their Bibles and cut out the miraculous parts. But I know lots and lots of people, lots and lots of Christians who live their life as if God is not an active part. Who, who don't really pray about the details of their life until, you know, something big happens, then they pray. They don't, they don't really develop a, a personal relationship with God where they interact with God on a regular basis. You know, there's, a, there's lots and lots and lots of people, lots and lots of Christians that if I were to ask them, you know, what's the Lord been doing in your life lately? What's the Lord been saying to you? What's the Lord been teaching you? Like there are lots and lots of people who would have no idea how to even answer that question because because they haven't been making God a regular part of their everyday life. Like God hasn't been active in their life. They didn't have have eyes to see this. But if we're going to understand that God is for us, one of the things, the central things that we have to develop is eyes to see that God is active in our life all the time, every day. And that's hard to do. It's hard to see God's activity in our life on a regular basis in real time. It's easier like in retrospect. So, you know, a lot of people will look back in time and they'll see how God was active, you know, back then. Like maybe maybe in retrospect, you can see how God led you to take that job. Or maybe in retrospect, God took you into this neighborhood where you bought this house and you met these neighbors and they invited you to church and you formed these relationships. And like in retrospect, I can see how God was kind of orchestrating things in my life. But but we have to develop, if we're going to really live into the truth that God is for us and to make God our refuge and uh, strength and ever-present help in trouble, one of the things that we have to do is we have to develop these eyes to see that God is active in our life every day. Every day, He is showing us His love and His goodness. Every day, He's, He's pouring out His blessings into our life. Every day, He's correcting us. Every day, He's speaking to us. Every day, He's guiding us. Every day, He's convicting us of our sin. Like, every day he is involved in our life and we have to develop the eyes to see that every day the Lord is for us. The Lord is active in our life. The Lord is speaking to us and guiding us and he wants to have a relationship with us. But you know what happens more often than not? Is more often than not we we go through our days. You know, we raise our kids, we go to work, We pay the bills, we cook dinner, we walk the dog, and we're never aware of how the Lord has been active in our lives those days. This reminds me of what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 6. Do you remember this in Matthew chapter 6? Jesus teaches about not worrying, but I want you to listen to this. Matthew 6, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow you worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now we read a passage like this and there's a temptation to hear Jesus saying something that he's not really saying. Because sometimes you read a passage like this, you hear Jesus saying this, um, don't worry, like a command, thou shall not worry. And that's what Jesus, we think Jesus is saying here. And if you read this as a command that Jesus say, is giving us, well then what you're gonna do is you're gonna think to yourself, okay, this week I'm gonna work really hard at not worrying. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna de-stress every time I feel my blood pressure rise. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for a walk, right? I'm gonna count my blessings. I'm gonna practice mindfulness. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do whatever it is I need to do. Be thankful to, to de-stress and to not worry this week because Jesus commanded me not to do this. And, and those are all good things. I mean, all proactive ways to not live your life and worry. They're all good things, but I'll let you in a little secret. They're not really gonna work. And the reason why is because that's not really what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't really giving us a command, thou shalt not worry. Really what he's telling us is, here's why you don't need to worry. And did you catch what it was? It was a really simple truth that he gives us here. Why do we not need to live our lives in worry? Well, it's for a very simple truth. And here it is, because God is good. Because God is good. He's for us. He provides for us. He takes care of us. Just, just like after all, he, he provides for the lilies of the fields and the birds of the air, and you are so much more valuable than them. And so you don't need to live your life in worry. Instead, you can focus your life on the goodness of God, how he is involved in your life and focused in your life and working in your life. And you can focus your life on this. You can seek first his kingdom. That's what we're saying there. You can focus your life on the goodness of God. And when you do this, you're going to see life in a whole new perspective because you're going to see that God is for you. A couple of years ago, I was talking to a good friend of mine and I was going through some stuff I was stressed out about just you know, normal kinds of challenges we all have in life. And I was, I was going through some things I was stressed with my, with my, with my friend and and as I was going through some things I was, I was, I was kind of worrying about, my, my friend, he stopped me kind of mid-sentence, mid-thought, and he, he just like cut me off because this is also the kind of person he is. He's just going to cut you off. We all need people like this. Cut you off. I'm going to tell you the truth. And so I was telling him these things were going on. He cut me off. I wasn't even through my list yet of all the things that I was worried about. And he just, he looks at me and he says, Spencer, do you not believe that God is good? And I was kind of offended, honestly. Of course I believe God is good. And he goes, we certainly don't sound like it because you haven't talked at all about what God is doing in your life. All you've been talking about is everything that's wrong. That conversation, like it, it woke me up a little bit because it helped me to see that, you know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a tendency to focus all of my attention on my challenges and what's wrong, and wish I, what I wish was different. And, and I, get, I get consumed with some of the worries that I miss seeing 
what God is up to all around me. I miss having the eyes of faith because I'm, I'm so focused on what's wrong and, and what I wish was different. This reminds me of what the great uh, Eugene Peterson once wrote. And, uh, and he, he wrote these words. He says, My feelings are important for many things. They are essential and valuable. They keep me aware of, uh, of much of what is true and real. But then he says, but they, my feelings, tell me next to nothing about God or my relation to God. My security comes from who God is, not from how I feel. Discipleship is a decision to live by what I know about God, not by what I feel about him or my neighbors or my circumstances or what I'm worried about. Discipleship is a, is a decision to focus my activity on the Lord. You see, God, if he is for us, then we have this decision of how, how we're going to live and approach life that's before us. That we can see the, the activity of God all around us, or, or we can begin to become focused on what's not true, which is about how our stress and our worries and our challenges and our setbacks and, and our fears are, 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 are bigger than what it is that the Lord can do. But what we have is this truth to be reminded of that God is for us that he's active in our lives, that he's doing more than we can see or understand, that we need to open our eyes to see the goodness and activity of God all around us. And you know what, sometimes, sometimes, I begin to lose sight of this, and I know you do as well. And sometimes I begin to lose sight of this because I can be so focused on, on all the things that are wrong, my feelings, my thoughts get, get the best of me, but, but I need to be reminded of what's really true, and that is that God is for us. He's for you. And one of the best ways to remind us of this truth is to look no further than the cross. Because the cross, it is the evidence that God is for us. I mean, what we read in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for you, for me, for everyone. He's given for you as a gift. This is God's gift for us. As we've said in every other week in this series, the primary evidence of God's goodness, it's not the circumstances of my life, but the primary evidence of God's goodness is the cross. That God would give his own son on behalf of us that we might have life in him. This is the gift that's been given for us. When I understand this, when I can wrap my mind around this, when I can begin to understand that, that this gift was given for me personally, specifically, that I can receive this into my life and that with eyes of faith, I begin to see the goodness of God that's all around me, where the Lord is leading me and speaking to me and active in my life on a daily basis. You know what I can begin to say? Well, I can begin to say, for me, God is a refuge. For me, God is strength. For me, God is an ever-present help in trouble. Let's pray together. So Father, today we hear these words from Psalm 46. We wanna claim them as our own, that you are for us, that, that you have come on our behalf, that you speak to us and guide us and lead us. But honestly, sometimes we don't have eyes to see it. 
Sometimes we're so focused on what's wrong. We're so focused on, on what we feel. We're so focused on the, on the challenges that we miss seeing with eyes of faith, the, the many, many ways that you are at work around us. And so Lord, one of the things we ask today is that you would help us to see, to be aware, to, to experience your activity in our life, that we would listen to you and know you and experience you and follow you because we would see every single day that the Lord is around us and in us and working in our life. And so God, we wanna, we wanna turn to you today, this, this confession, this knowledge that you are for us. And we wanna receive this gift. I pray, Father, to specifically for anyone who's with us who, who doesn't know the, the gift of salvation that comes through Jesus, this gift of knowledge that you're for us, that today would be a, a day for us to cross that line of faith with a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead my life so we can know for ourselves that for us, for me, that you are my refuge. For me, you are my strength. For me, you are my ever-present help in trouble. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining us in worship today. Hope you found this inspiring, encouraging, the fact, the reality that God is for you and for me. That is good news. And that is something to share with our friends, our neighbors, our relatives, with lots of people. God loves you. God is for you. A big thanks to Stephanie and to our worship team, to Spencer, to Alec Kanoff, who does all the fancy stuff to make this happen so it comes to you. It's a, it's a treat to work with Alec. If you've been blessed, we hope you will take a moment and share this with people around you. Let the people around you know that God is for them, just as he is for you and, and for us. We look forward to next week when we're going to dive in. The fourth, the fourth session of God Our Refuge will happen next week, so join us again. And it's Mother's Day, or maybe it's Mother's Day week. Whatever the case, call your mom, call a mom, call somebody. Take a moment in time to encourage a mother that you see. Let them know that God is for them, that he loves them, cares about them, that they're doing a great job. Be a blessing with a mother in your life and in your world. Thanks. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Oh, every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Every time, every time, every time, every time. Upon the mountain, when my Lord spoke, out of his mouth came fire and smoke. Looked all around me, it looked so fine. I asked the Lord if all was mine. Oh, every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Oh, every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Oh, Jordan River, so chilly and cold. 
riches of body, not the soul. When Satan tempts me, it's all in vain. With my Lord Jesus, I remain. Oh, every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Oh, every time I feel the Spirit 